You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating. Welcome to the Experience Sikhi podcast. I'm Dilraj Singh. We begin the podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on Aboriginal land that has been inhabited by Indigenous peoples from the beginning. As settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek and the Huron-Wendat. Also, just some reminders, if you like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcast at experienceaki.com. Once again, that's podcast at experienceaki.com. Our guest today is Treptkar. Treptkar was born and raised in Abbotsford, BC. She completed her Bachelor of Arts in Criminal Justice at the University of the Fraser Valley, finishing with the highest GPA. She was also a varsity soccer player and served as a student union president in just her second year, where she engaged in advocacy that went all the way up to provincial and federal governments. Currently, Trept is a second-year law student at Osgoode Hall Law School. In her spare time, you will find her playing soccer, spikeball, hiking, and being a fierce competitor during family board game nights. So here's Trept Kaur. So thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Um, for our listeners, this is a special episode because this is the first time I'm doing an interview with a colleague. And the reason why we're doing this is because we've been in law school together for the past just over a year and a half. And even though we've been together for a lot of it, we've been in the same section, taken a lot of the same classes, the way things are now shaping out and our experiences differ uh, quite significantly. So before we get into it, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Also, super excited to be on this podcast. And thank you to everyone that's tuning in. Uh, I was born and raised in Abbotsford, BC. BC is the better province than Ontario, but I'll save that for another conversation. Um, I went to the University of the Fraser Valley where I studied criminal justice, was extremely involved on campus, played varsity soccer, became the first ever female student athlete uh, to serve as president of the school. And I was super uh, involved on many different school boards. So overall, just a keener in terms of building that community at school. Um, in terms of passions and hobbies, I'm a big family-oriented uh, person. A large portion of my family is in BC, so that's why I always vouch for BC. I love traveling, hiking, and sports. Of course, soccer and other things like Bill Raj mentioned, spike ball, also snowboarding. Awesome. So... In your undergraduate studies, why did you choose to pursue criminal justice studies? Is it something that you took in anticipation of law school or was it a passion and law came after? Yeah, so it certainly was like something I took because of law school. So growing up, I was thankful to have a lot of older cousins and older siblings that kind of served as mentors for me. So they suggested that I take criminal justice uh, in anticipation of law school. And so I got the chance in high school to consult with someone who actually took that sim similar pathway of doing criminal justice and then going to law school. And they 
told me how it's an interesting subject area, interesting field. And so I ended up doing criminal justice and it didn't feel to impress at all. But I do want to just flag and note that you can pursue any degree and end up in law school, which is super mm -hmm. important to note. Um, and if I had to do it again, I may have minored possibly in political science just because my interests yeah. also lie in that subject area. Awesome. And did you always have law in the back of your mind? Um, how did you come to the decision that you were going to make it a career path? Yeah, law was something um, I've wanted to do since I was in grade two. I've been saying I'm going to become a lawyer um, to my friends. Uh, when my siblings told me about this glorified career of going to court yeah. and presenting in front of a judge, even though I'm not even sure if that's what I want to do in terms of law. But yeah, it's a passion of mine since grade two. But I think I've always had this crave for advocacy just growing up. And so what really solidified picking law was learning about the person's case in grade seven. And in this case, it was um, women arguing that they should be considered persons um, in order to run for Senate. And so uh, this was a case in 1929 and reading this in grade seven, I was like, wow, I can't believe just less than a hundred years ago, women were still mm -hmm. fighting to be considered persons in Canada. So since then that kind of ignited my passion to like definitely pursue law and just have that representation as like a, a Punjabi woman in the field. And because it was an interest from what you mentioned grade two, was there ever any moment um, of doubt while on this career journey that law might not actually be what you want to do, especially because um, in law school, it can be very tough. And what I say is, unless you really want to do it, you don't follow through with something as tough as law school. So did you ever have that moment of doubt? Yeah, that's an amazing question. And honestly, never once did I doubt from when I was younger up until I got to law school. Um, mm -hmm. I never doubted this career and choosing law up until the first day of law, law school, the first class. Nice. Um, yeah, so Laraj, you were in that class as well, ethical lawyering in a global community. And just yep. the discussion students were having, I was asking myself whether yeah. I even belong here as people were talking about these hmm. philosophers and theorists, a conversation I couldn't really contribute to because of my lack yeah. of knowledge on what was even going on. And I'm, I was asking myself, like, what the heck did I choose? Like, is this what I want? Mm -hmm. And so my, I remember my parents calling me that day, like, how was your first day of law school? And I was like, yeah. honestly, like, I did not like it. But um, other than that, that was the only time I had a doubt. After like mm -hmm. a week, I kind of started to get my footing. And so it got better especially after making like good solid group of friends like yourself. Thank you. Did the move to Toronto have any contribution to that uneasiness? Um, for someone who is so family oriented and enjoys spending so much time with them, why did you make the decision to move all the way to Toronto to study law and specifically why Osgood? Yeah, so your first addressing your first question, I I don't think Toronto uh, led to that in uneasiness the first day because I was actually loving mm -hmm. my time in Toronto, at least for the first two months until midterms rolled around and haunted us. Okay. Um, That's fair. 
But like for your second question, the reason I decided to move to Toronto to pursue law, um, for me, it just was always between BC or Ontario. So specifically Vancouver or Toronto. I just found both cities to have like much more opportunities in comparison to other cities in Canada. And so why did I specifically choose Osgoode? It's because it, I found Osgoode was super focused on like social justice, something that really aligns with my values and personality and its clinic offerings are quite unparalleled to other universities um, in Canada. So that's why I ended up coming here. Um, And growing up in Abbotsford my entire life, I was, initially hesitant um, and fearful to move out, but truly this was a really good decision of mine for, you know, living independently and moving across the country. It's really helped me evolve and just explore and learn more about myself. Any regrets related to the move to Toronto? (laughs) Well, I wish I had more family here to cook me some dollars of Jian. (laughs) So... (laughs) No, no regrets. Um, I would actually argue Toronto is the better city than Vancouver, aside from the nature, but like province to Thank province, you. <laughs> you know. Fair enough. For, yeah. Again, for our listeners, we've finally made some leeway over a year and a half to finally pitch Toronto as the better city. Yeah. Um, and we have succeeded. You mentioned, <laughs> again, not having someone to cook for you. So... As a student who lived on residence for the entirety of the first year, what did a typical day or week look like? And how much time did you spend in classes? How much time did you spend reading? And then how much of it did you have for yourself? And for yourself as in to relax or pursue some hobbies, um, your intramural sports, what did your schedule look like? Yeah, so as a second year, as a 2L, it just depends on the day of the week. Um, So for example, right now I have classes Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, which is something Mm -hmm. you don't get in first year. Like first year, it's like Monday to Friday, you're going to classes for hours and hours each day. But thankfully I have two days off each week and Tuesdays specifically are a bit busier, you know, wake up at 7am, like this is my routine, Uh, listen to pot, Subway to Osgood, have my classes. Um, and between my classes, I'm just always studying uh, in the library. Mm-hmm. And in the evenings of Tuesday specifically, I go and play futsal, which is indoor soccer. And then I return home around 11 p.m. On days off, yes. I'm just doing readings, uh, doing house chores, which you would normally take for granted. Um but yeah, I would say in this semester, I'm spending about 10 hours in classes, which is not that much, to be honest. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so, but while doing so, I do have a good chunk of time for myself in terms of social life, which is really, really uh, needed in law school. We haven't spoken about this much in our previous conversations, but you spent the first year on residence and now the second year you've moved to the downtown core. Um, Why did you decide to move in the middle of your studies and why downtown specifically? Mm -hmm. So when I came to Osgoode, I heard a lot of chatter about like, it's totally normal to live on campus first year. And then eventually Mm -hmm. for your second and third year, once you get your footing, once you get your grounding within law school, you kind of move into the city. Um, 
Yeah. And I personally, there were some benefits living on campus, but uh, just mm. with COVID, uh, being victims of COVID law school, yeah. um, it was difficult living on campus um, just because of the infrastructure is so old here. Um, yeah. But moving downtown has definitely been much, much better just for my mental health and exploring a brand new city. Mm. Um, with so yeah. many different options, restaurants, etc., so many different things to do. Awesome. Backtracking a little bit to your undergrad studies at UFV, um, you completed them with a lot of success, as we mentioned in your <laughs> intro. But at the same time, ta- same time, you were extremely involved on campus. So, what were you involved in, and how did you handle that big of a workload? Hmm. Yeah, okay. I don't want to get into like a big list, but I'll I'll highlight some of the major things that really took a big chunk of my time. Um, so like playing on the UFE women's soccer team, that was super important. Uh, we practiced every weekday from like 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. We would have two games on weekends. We're basically traveling around Canada during the season and then off season, you're practicing yeah. still. Um and then I was UFE president, uh, where I served a one-year term representing about 15,000 students, uh, had both provincial and federal advocacy, and that too required a lot of traveling for conferences. Um, I also did some research assistant work for two to three professors, uh, looking into the prevention of student exploitation uh, on our campus mm-hmm. at UFE specifically. Um, And another thing was being on the president's task force on equity, diversity, inclusivity, um, especially Mm -hmm. when EDI was on the come up. So that was interesting as well. So those were kind of like the things I was involved in um, that were super near and dear to me uh, in my undergrad. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of handling it, um, I actually coming out of high school, like I balanced about three sports like hockey, soccer, Mm -hmm. Uh, and basketball, um, while also yeah. being um, like academically focused, volunteering in the community. So I feel like mm-hmm. time management was just very ingrained in me and just being super organized was something instilled within me that I carried over to my undergrad. So um, mm-hmm. not only was I, of course, an undergrad looking out for my resume, but most importantly, I also wanted to kind of establish that sense of community and not just be a commuter to my campus. Fair. And did your undergrad experience prepare you for law school in any way? Um, Because again, handling that big of a workload when it comes to law school, it not necessarily gets doubled, but it is of a similar intensity. And what habits transferred over to law school and which ones did you have to change based on your undergrad experience? Mm -hmm. So right off the bat, like, Law school is so much more tougher than undergrad. Um, And I think that's a common uh, rhetoric that a a lot of law school students have. Um, I don't think anything prepares you for the actual content you learn in law school, Mm -hmm. but undergrad definitely helped with establishing those transferable soft skills. So, you know, discipline in terms of getting those readings done. Um, Again, time management. 
uh, juggling living on your own if that's something someone ends up doing, you know, cooking, laundry, taking classes, um, communication and teamwork skills um, in terms of making good friends to lean on, having a good work ethic, um, and also communicating and talking to professors. So um, I carried over most of these habits that I established in undergrad over to law school, which has helped me. Mm -hmm. I didn't ask you this before either. You're one of the very few people in law school that hasn't taken a break between undergrad and law. And the transition between the two schools was also during COVID. Did you ever consider taking a break? And why didn't you? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't ever consider taking a break because I think just within my family, it's been like, just get your school over with and then you'll be yeah. good to go. Like, just get it over with. So I think I came... Mm-hmm with that mentality from undergrad that I do not want to take any breaks whatsoever. So that's, that's honestly why, but like during breaks, like you've seen me, Bill Raj, I'm always traveling. So like I'm compensating for that year. I didn't, that gap year I didn't take. Fair. Since you're almost done your second year of law school now, um, how many extracurriculars are too many? Because you also went from being extremely involved to still being very involved. Um, but there has been a drop off. I think in every single law student's life, there's a drop off between how much they could handle and how much they do now. Mm-hmm. So how many is too many? And what did you choose to get involved in during law school? Yeah, like I would say more than like four or more uh, activities would be too much. So ideally speaking, mm-hmm. I would recommend that students uh, stay involved in at least two to three organizations um, on campus or even off campus um, and choose one that you like, choose the ones that are your, you're most passionate about and you think you can make the most out of. Like it's quality mm-hmm. over quantity is what I think. Um, and again, don't get too carried away with extracurriculars in law school because you need that time. Yeah. For studying, um, you're studying yep. tremendous, tremendously more hours than you were in undergrad or your master's or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So in one L specifically, I again definitely crave that sense of community I had in my undergrad, and especially you know coming from BC, not being used to Ontario, I I I needed that, and so provided that over one L and two L, I've been involved with over like nine to ten organizations which is crazy um and i should probably cut down i have been but um just to highlight some of them the osgood six students association um Mm -hmm. is something garen rindava and i established and bill raj is a vp for uh i'm involved with the osgood hall law journal south asian law students association entertainment and sports law association student caucus those are just some of the main ones um but yeah for one else i would recommend getting more involved maybe in your 2l and 3l but keep to that two to three limit in your first year another thing i'd like to highlight for listeners is grades still matter in law school i think um you work so hard to get into law school and you don't want to get that drop off in grades because that's what helps set the foundation for your career. As shallow as it may sound, it's the first step in. Um, whereas extracurriculars can serve you really well during interviews because you have experiences to talk about, but they're only helpful a if you have the grades to land an interview 
um, and I mean that in the least least sinister way possible, and B, if you're actually passionate about what you're doing. Otherwise, you won't be able to speak to it um, mm-hmm. in a way that leaves a deep impact with the person that's interviewing you. Um, moving from your school experience to the future a little bit, you mm-hmm. are getting very close to graduation. You're a year away. Um, oh my gosh. How do you choose a field of law to begin your career? in? Um, and that means you had a social justice background, but because I know what you've been up to, you've had some unique experiences in the corporate side of things, transactional. So how are you picking a field of law to begin your career? in? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know what area of law I'm going to be choosing. And I think being a second year, that's almost done. Second year, you still do not need to choose yet. Like you should be open to exploring options, which is what I'm doing. So I've last semester, um, I worked at Parkdale, which was, you know, clinic work uh, in immigration law. Mm-hmm. And so uh, last summer, I worked in more of a litigation firm. And so this summer, I'll be working um, in corporate law. So uh, I'm not sure what area of law exactly where my passion lies, but I'm really looking forward to finding it because I want to stick to something that I really like doing and waking up to every morning um, rather yeah. than trying to drag my feet to get work done. Fair. I'm glad you mentioned Parkdale because not only have you completed a semester in one of Osgood's clinical programs, which you said was one of the, the reasons that convinced you to, mm-hmm. to pick Osgood, but you're also going on exchange next year. Right. So what benefit do you see to both the clinical experience and an international exchange? Because those are pretty unique experiences that not every law student engages in. Yeah. So like I'm a strong believer in being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Um, It just brings the best out of you and it challenges you as a person. So doing exchange was something I didn't get the chance to because thank you COVID again um, for not allowing me to do that in undergrad. So I think the benefit of doing exchange is, you know, exploring, exploring a new local culture, making friends you wouldn't have made otherwise, learning about law in a completely different jurisdiction. Um, Those are the things I'm looking forward to um, on exchange. Also, by the way, I'll be going to Amsterdam, the University of Amsterdam, Faculty of Law. Um, So yeah, COVID took away exchange for me in undergrad. So I basically told myself, at Osgood, I'm like, if not now, then when? That's that was my mentality. Yeah. So um, I, I also think that exchanges are arguably beneficial beneficial to have on the resume, especially working in law. I would think it's something that's actually sought after by employees, mm-hmm. uh, by employers. Um, shows adaptability, international experience, willingness to learn. Um, and then in terms of my clinical experience, which I just mentioned, I was at the Parkdale Community Legal Services uh, in the Immigration Law Division. Um, again, immense benefits from working at a clinic like this. I felt like a baby lawyer um, managing 15 to 20 client files, meeting with clients, finding legal solutions um, and consolidation with my supervising lawyer. And so... A clinic like that helps you explore an area of law and get exposed to that legal clinic world that I highly, highly recommend any student to engage in. This question is going to blindside you a little bit. Um, but speaking of international exchange, 
you'll be out of the country for the upcoming summer. Um, it's a very unique work experience that is known to be very hard to land. And you didn't do this through a formal recruit. You did this on your own merit. Um, and I'm doing this just to highlight part of it because it's a very impressive journey. But do you want to walk through how you landed a second year summer position in a New York law firm? <laughs> you see, I wasn't trying to bring that up. But um, <laughs> yeah, to folks listening, I'll be working in New York uh, this summer. Um Coming from BC, <laughs> this was something that was never intended to be on my radar up until I got to Osgood and heard about this opportunity mm -hmm. that, you know, there's Osgood students, there's Toronto students going to New York and working where like people would say is the epitome of legal and financial industry. And so yep. I actually saw like I saw one of I saw a couple of my mentors going to New York as well, or at least just upper years. And I talked to them about it and I was like, hey, if they can do it, like I can do it as well. Especially like yeah. Garen Randava, who's the co-president and co-founder of mm -hmm. the Osgood Six Students Association. She just did a New York summer last uh summer. Yeah. And so that kind of like really motivated me. Um and let, there's not that much guidance at the moment from Osgood on how to do this in comparison to like the Vancouver Toronto recruits. Um, and so it mm -hmm. was just purely a lot of hard work of networking, um, talking to people, just trying to get my foot in the door virtually um, as yeah. a Canadian law student. It's very difficult, but it is a doable process if you're super determined, super motivated and like don't give up. Awesome. We're going to switch gears a little bit from now schooling to some of your community work. Um, we've mentioned the SSA a couple of times, but I'm going to put that on pause for just mm -hmm. a little bit. You've also founded a nonprofit mm -hmm. while you were in high school. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and why you decided to create it? Yeah, for sure. So uh, my friend and I founded Six Seva International Society of Youth um, when we were in grade 11. Um, so how this passion and this project came about was uh, we wanted to do more for the community beyond just, you know, donating cans of soup to the local food bank drives. And so yeah. we're like, let's, let's found something that's linked to our roots as sick individuals and something that involves mm -hmm. youth. And so sick uh, and seva means learning to serve as a youth. Um, and so what we do is a lot of local and international work with uh, vulnerable and homeless folks. Uh, internationally, mm -hmm. we have medical camps. We're covering student tuition who are low income. Um, and yep. we actually just did a medical camp last week. I think it was our sixth or seventh one. I'm losing track now. But it's, it's nice. like a lot of amazing work. Um, and so, you know, we wanted something where locally our youth can engage with while also being in touch with their uh, roots of Sikhi. Um, and so mm -hmm. that's something we came up with and it's still running. And also follow us on Instagram. <laughs> how, how do you maintain your involvement while you're on the other side of the country? Do you still try keeping a hand in all the affairs or have you passed it on? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I luckily do have a team back home that I've passed it on to. It's been very, very difficult trying to coordinate well in Toronto, trying to do projects back in BC, especially. Um, But yeah, I've been thankful that my family and friends are able to help out to keep the legacy going. That's fair. You also founded the SSA at Osgood, um, the Sikh Students Association. Why did you think it was important to create this club because we've spent uh, two years on the the South Asian Law Students Association mm-hmm. as executive members as well. So why yeah. create something separate from that? Yeah, I just think sick representation is so, so important in law. Um, and we, you know, like we have, we have our own um, issues and own advocacy points that we want to bring up. And I thought, thought that the SSA would be amazing to do that. Um, and also we were so surprised to learn that there was no other Sikh Students Association in a Canadian law school. Like we are the first one, yep. which is crazy. Like it's 2023 and we don't have one, but now we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the purpose of it was like not only advocacy, but also educating colleagues about six, our background, our history. Um, yep. And so, you know, it's important to establish this group because we want to have our own community objectives and advocacy um, on these points. So, for example, like, let's say the farmers protests in India was happening right now at this moment. Mm -hmm. I would want an organization to represent the sick views and the struggles. And so the SSA is something now there to help, you know, spread this awareness, spread this education to other law students and see what's going on, what six or what six struggles are at the moment. And so there's also other equity seeking groups that exist within Osgood. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it would be great to also have that SSA representation. Speaking of this passion for sick representation, where does it come from? Um, did your, did your experiences with Sikhi start from the home? Is it something that you've um, explored on your own? Mm-hmm. Good question. Um, Sikhi's been like ingrained within my family growing up. I went to actually a Punjabi school from kindergarten to grade 12. Um, so literally 13 years where we learned not only like Punjabi, like reading, writing, yeah. speaking, but also about Sikhi. Like we had our morning assemblies and that's why I know how to play the vaja, the harmonium. So having that component of religiousness, I think, just also fills that, for me personally, fills that spirituality gap um, yep. and that wellness component that each person, I think, really needs. And it's something mm-hmm. my mom and dad always stressed to my siblings and I growing up, and uh, my mom still does. And so also just more about my family, like the house we built and live in currently um, since 2009 was like the main purpose of it was because we could live close to the Gordura. It was literally, it's literally yeah. 200 meters away from the Gordura. So mm-hmm. yeah, Sikhi is just something super, super important to my family. And it's been passed on clearly to my parents, uh, from my parents to their daughter. So growing up with that foundation in Sikhi, what does it mean being a Sikh professional? Because you're about to join the ranks very soon after your graduation. Um, so the term Sikh professional, what does it actually mean to you? Mm-hmm. 
I, for me, it means obviously representing six and the legal profession, but also educating others about Sikhi and our values. Like, it just amazes me that a lot of people don't know what, like who we even are. So especially in law school, like they're like sick, like sick kids, like what's going on? And I'm like, no, like seek. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, like oh, that's true. Like in the legal profession, definitely I'll be representing the six, um, educating others about about us and our values. And so, yeah, just spreading awareness, spreading that education and also being staying yeah, true to myself. It, it's really funny because growing up in the GTA, yeah. um, or at least for kids growing up here, there's almost an expectation that everyone will know who you are. Yeah. But I've had many conversations <laughs> with many mentors in law school who genuinely don't know what a Sikh is. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad that's something you hold mm-hmm. very close to yourself as you take this next leap in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, along these paths, whether it be your um, Sikhi development, your professional development, or your personal struggles, has there been anyone in your life that you consider a role model and maybe any lesson that stood out um, that they've been able to pass on to you? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I wouldn't say one, but like two, and I feel like I keep talking about them, but truly they're my role models, my mom and dad. Um, mm-hmm. They're both very religious um, and they've really instilled values of like seva, respect and kindness to me. Um and obviously, you know, like those are things that are like ingrained within me. And so those are definitely my role models. And a cool story uh, from when I was in grade 12. So 2016, I went to India. And so there was like a popsicle man, let's say, like selling his golfia, like the almond ones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then the pathway alley leading up to the Gordara we were visiting just yep. just filled with just poverty. Um, and so yep. what I saw my dad do that day was he bought popsicles for that entire alley of children, mm-hmm. elderly, just everyone that, you know, yep. looked like they were, they wanted something to eat rather than just giving money mm-hmm. and handing it out. And so, yeah. like, not only do those children get that popsicle, that nice, kind gesture, but, like, the popsicle man benefited as well. And so I just thought yeah. that was, like, a true example of Seva right there in front of my eyes. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, like, those two, like, my mom and dad, always my role models um, in terms of my Sikhi de- development. No, that's awesome to hear. In some of the recent episodes we've recorded, um, a lot of the guests this even this season have been young parents, mm-hmm. um, and at the end of the day, you can't necessarily force the sentiment yeah. of love for Sakir, love for your guru. For but sure. a lot of it is um, transferred through actions because we we learn from the things our parents do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm glad you could share an experience like that. Yeah. At the same time, a lot of a lot of the seva that we do is is obviously for others and it is selfless service about taking care of ourselves. You mentioned that you do have some time to yourself, even though you have a busy schedule, mm-hmm. but do you ever burn out? And a, if you don't burn out, do you, how do you prevent them? Um, and B, if you do burn out, how do you recover from them? 
Wow. That was like a law school exam question. <laughs> um, I would say like burnout is so real. It happened to me in my first semester, just stressing myself out like, oh, like that you need yeah. to do really well. Like you need to do well. Like this matters, like your career matters. And that was just so not mm. worth it. But like when I did, when this burnout did happen, I just thought like, plugging away from away from social media is super important um spending yeah. time with loved ones that are trying to you know empathize with you understand your situation is super important for me um and doing the things i love uh is what helps me cope with that burnout which is probably just binging netflix and uh chilling yeah. with my pjs on fair um, is there any advice you'd like to leave for incoming or future law students based on all the experiences you've had now? Mm -hmm. For incoming students, I would say enjoy your summer before law school because boy, is it a ride. Um, mm -hmm. I would say be ready to build relationships with professors and classmates. Um, the legal field is small and chances are you will be crossing paths with a lot of people you study with. Like when someone told yeah. me that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like law, it's so big. Like it's in Canada. Like mm -hmm. there's so many offices, but no, like seriously, a lot of these people that you're studying with, um, taking classes with may actually end up at least in the same area and district as you. Um, and one mm -hmm. last piece yeah. of advice is um, take care of your health. And how would you take care of your health? Well, that's just or especially as a law student. That's a great question. Of course, it's dependent person to person, whether it's utilizing yeah. the resources on campus, like counseling or therapy, mm -hmm. or whether it's, I don't know, whatever your self-care routines are. So in terms of that, yeah. um, and again, like what we just talked about burnout, not stressing yourself out to the point you're burning out. Like if you can't finish mm -hmm. that hundred page reading, it's okay. Chances are it's not going to come up yeah. on the exam. Just skim it. All right. Let's see. That's very dangerous advice. <laughs> because if you say that to someone like me, it's going to be like, none of these readings are going to be on the exam. Okay. But that's, that's a run. Chances. Chances. That's underscore. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, if you were able to speak with first year undergrad trip, mm -hmm. knowing everything you know now, is there any advice or lesson you'd want to give her? Yeah, like something small I would say to myself uh, as a first year in undergrad is like, don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone. Like, just be open to new opportunities. Um, like, I would say, trust me, like, these are the best years of your life and you can make the most of it by just um, stepping out of your comfort zone. Fair. And now going from past to future, where do you see yourself in a few years? Well, I see myself being a super bomb lawyer, hopefully, living in the yeah. big city, enjoying my 20s while they last. Um, I, I know I'll reflect back on this answer in five years and either laugh at its uh, inaccuracy or smile at its accuracy. So we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I just want to, you know, be a good lawyer, be good at what I'm doing and be happy about it and just be living like a good life. 
Um, we're inching towards the end of today's episode, and we like to end off with what we call the random five. Um, this is where I'm going to ask you five totally random questions just for the listeners to get to know you a bit better. Mm-hmm. And the first one is, what is your favorite book? Okay, I honestly don't have a favorite book, but I would I do like Kite Runner and Gone Girl, if anyone's read that. <laughs> Fair. Uh, what is your favorite quote and or Barney Bunkty? Um... So I would say, trust God, trust yourself. This is just something my mom always says to me. Um, And Mm -hmm. it just like kind of resonates with me. Like, especially she tells me like this before exams or just when it's my birthday. Like, she's just like, trust God, trust yourself. Like, you're doing great. I'm very proud of you. And so that's just like one of my favorite quotes in my life when I hear it. Awesome. What is one of your favorite quirks? I like to Or sorry, think, not favorite, oh, weird quirks. Weird. I, <laughs> I don't know if it's a weird quirk, but uh, I like taking pictures of literally everything and saying, like, do it for the memes. Uh, the Raj has been a victim of this, so. Uh-huh. It's a good quirk to have. It's documenting everything. It's nice. Yeah. Um, if you could meet anyone in history, who would it be? Uh, definitely Martin Luther King Jr. Interesting. That's a very law answer. <laughs> no, that, but it's something that, that I'm just always so excited about. Someone I look up to. Yeah. Cool. And what is your favorite? Sorry, not favorite. What is your <laughs> biggest pet peeve? Definitely not my favorite, but biggest pet peeve is when I clean up and then someone makes a mess within like 10 minutes. <laughs> Big pet peeve. <laughs> Fair enough. That's a, that's a good pet peeve to have. Um, before we end off today, is there anything else you want to leave with our listeners? Yeah, just one last thing is I'll keep it brief. Stay true to yourself and uh, stay true to your roots. Awesome. So thank you so much for being on today's episode and being so open and transparent with your story. But we'll end the episode there. Thank you to all of our listeners. You've been listening to the Experience Siki podcast. 